the Carson Price for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center. Where if you're heading to a game downtown, why not make it a staycation? Call the wall, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Sass, hitting switches, conducting things in this show. Presentation. Applewood Auto Group. And the Applewood Mitsubishi folks at the Richmond Auto Mall would love to tell you that they've got in-stock Outlanders ready for your perusal. Go check out the gas Outlanders with rates from 4.99%. If you're interested in the uh, plug-in hybrid edition, which uh, I've had the pleasure of driving, make your factory order to your exact specifications. So when it rolls in, it's exactly how you dreamed. It's all at Applewood Mitsubishi at the Richmond Auto Mall. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Did the Bo Horvat trade start the Canucks turnaround? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. And two big pieces of news in Canucks land today. Let's start with the biggest news of them all. Frank Saravelli of the Daily Faceoff speaking to Patrick Alvin and Pat Brisson, the agent, saying extension talks are underway. Brisson saying prefers to keep things low key, but they continue to have conversations. Alvin saying that they're chipping away and would hope for a deal sooner rather than later. And this is big news, Blake, because, of course, we wondered would any extension talks take place during the season after Aaliyah saying he didn't want anything done at the beginning of the year, which always struck us as very odd. Yeah, and I think we all sort of raised an eyebrow there. Like, if there's a deal to be done, a deal gets done. And there's tones of progress here uh, from both sides, and that's wonderful news. Uh, You get the feeling that they could probably make this happen before the end of the season. Yeah, Uh, I'm Still sort of unclear as to why the Canucks didn't try and get this done before the beginning of the year. I mean, you would have to think it's only gotten more expensive mm-hmm. in, the, in the games that have been played since because Elias has been so fantastic. The other big piece of news, Carson Soucy week to week after getting injured against the Montreal Canadiens. And really, this is the first big bout of adversity in Canucks season 23-24. They have had injuries. Remember, Susie a little bit dinged coming out of camp, and Bluger, of course, just made his debut last week, but uh, they didn't really know what they were missing in Bluger and were able to use fourth-line depth just fine. This is a little bit different. Susie's proved himself to be a, a pretty decent defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks so far. They're going to need to plug that hole. For, I don't know, it sounds like a couple of weeks. Sounds like, you know, the next five, six games, you'd have to think. And that means Akita Hirose gets the call up today to take his spot in the line. But also means with Tyler Myers getting the day off for, they're not trying to make a big deal about this at all, just a day off. But he wasn't there. So Juleson was taking um, regular rushes and uh, on the second pair for whatever that's worth, Hirose on the third pair. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, two defensemen missing. I know they're they're trying to excuse away the Myers one, saying nothing to see here. But for now, I mean, he wasn't there. Busy stretch of games, too, for the Vancouver Canucks. Not exactly uh, opponents that make you shiver in your boots. But no. nevertheless, a totality of games and a gauntlet that you're going to have to start running come Wednesday when the New York Islanders and Bo Horvat visit 
Rogers Arena. And you want to dot those I's and cross those T's. If it's a team that you think you should beat, you want to beat those teams. You yep. don't want to dr- leave it on the table. Uh, procedural move. Jack Stanika sent down. And I do think Hirose gets the call here, Blake, because he is waiver exempt. Yeah. As opposed to Christian Wallanen or one of the other defensemen that would have required waivers on the way back down. Yes. And of course, you know, Hirose was the last guy standing there. He was the guy who played for Susie at the beginning of the season. And not to say he's uh, he's all done and uh, a finished product here, but he has played some pro games now um, in the interim as well. So there's, you know, I'm sure some learnings he's he's had in the last 11 games. He has no counting stats to his uh, uh, stats line right now as a an Abbotsford Canuck team member, but he's all the more experienced than he was 11 games ago. As for the poll question, I, I think you can make the argument that the Horvat trade started the Canucks turnaround because it returned you one of the pieces that you used to go and get Philip Ronick, and he has been sensational for the Canucks. But there's so much else that went into this turnaround, the Rick Tockett hiring. I mean, Pedersen and Hughes becoming next level, top of the table NHL scorers. The improvement in the bottom six, Brock Besser's improvement, Cole and Susie as additions. So there's a ton of candidates that I think you could point to and say that's uh, when the Canucks turnaround started. So I voted no on the poll, but I hear the argument that, yes, trading Bo was um, necessary from a culture point of view and from a moving on to next the next chapter of Canucks history. I'll say yes with the caveat of saying – I, I'm not saying it's the biggest piece of why they are where they are, but was that the start of it? Yeah, yeah, it was a big shakeup. You know, the captain's traded. That's a, yep. it's a big deal. Um, and uh, you know, so all, you're looking at it more like timeline than necessarily, right. You know, gravitas of right. the individual. Okay, yeah. Again, all as the, we always say about our poll questions, define as you see fit. I have the beholder. Yeah. What do you think the reception's like for Bo tomorrow? I think it's going to be. I think you're you're going to have to strain to hear any negativity. It, you know, if you do hear it, you're, it's because you're you're absolutely looking to hear it. But I think the the, the loudest noises will be uh, noises of encouragement and appreciation for the years that he put in. I'll have my say on welcome, Matt, uh, on that topic. What do you think? Can the winning continue without Susie? Um, I would hope so because he's been a very nice piece of the puzzle, but you know, not the straw that's stirring the drink. And, and on, on in terms of depth defenseman beyond the top pair, I think Ian Cole's still more important than than Carson Susie. To me, that would be worse news for the Vancouver Canucks that Cole was gone. So, hey, Susie's been nice. He's been kind of what I think people were hoping for. It's a three million dollar defenseman. I mean, I think he's been been performing like that. So he's a nice player. But I think you should be able to withstand this if you're the Vancouver yeah. Canucks. As for Pedersen, a couple of things that I'll note, given that uh, both sides of the equation now have acknowledged they're talking again. Number one, things went awfully quiet on this file, other than people saying, oh, my God, it's going to cost them more money over the first 15 games here of the season, right? Like, we thought that might be a chicken little topic for, Van- for the Vancouver Canucks and their fans if things had gone poorly in the early going of the season. And, of course, things had gone poorly in the early going in the last two seasons, three seasons, 
And that was really 180 degrees turn on that file. The second thing I'll say, now that you've acknowledged you're talking, if it goes quiet again, that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean... You know, one of the benefits of saying, hey, we're not talking extension, we're going to leave the off-season business the off-season, he just wants to focus on playing hockey, and that's that, compartmentalize, set it aside, nothing to see here, nothing to talk about, that you've acknowledged you're talking means periodically... People are going to want updates if this doesn't get done soon. Right. And so you wonder if one side's now going to be ticked off at the other side. And in this case, I would think it's Brisson ticked off at Alvin for, I thought we agreed we were just going to do this behind closed doors. Well, he used the word, keep things low key. Yeah. Well, Patrick, why did you give any updates? And from Alvin's case, it's like my fan, my public is sitting there going, oh my God, how much money is yeah. Patterson? Plus, good news messaging, right? This is from the Aquilini textbook. You want to get fans excited about something. While we're talking with Petey, we're hoping to get a deal done. And ultimately, I mean, the agent has to understand exactly what you just talked about. That, you know, he he doesn't want to feel like the he has to prove that he's doing his job. Well, yeah. And with arguably the most important player on the team. Right. Who's off to a spectacular start. Right. And people want to know, hey, are you seeing this? Are you on the file? Well, therein lies the difference. Agents have clients. GMs have publics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, uh, I I hope that this doesn't derail what what has, and again, I don't think they're on the brink of signing, but I think it's it's a sign of progress, what was said today. So I put it this way. I, I take it as good news. I take it as good news that the Canucks are at least actively trying to button up this loose end because it's quite a loose end. And I also take it as good news that Brisson at least acknowledged that it's going on. Alvin also mentioned that they are probably, yes, still looking for a defenseman. And this is, I don't think, I don't think it has any relation to the injury to Carson Soucy. I think it's just in general. Yes. Um, and those were his words. I'm probably looking for a defenseman. <laughs> we're probably well, looking for a defenseman. And so. I, I, because and these are still early days, and I will probably get to this in a welcome mat here very shortly, but Blake, what happened to defense by committee? It's been anything but. And especially the Hughes-Ronick pair has effectively now been set in granite. I mean, you would have to have some calamity with your team to move away from that pairing right now. Yep. And as you'll hear from Ray Ferraro later in the show, and great to have Ray back on the show, the NHL is modernizing towards this sort of pair and not the old ways of the offensive guy with the defensive guy. I mean, ideally, you'd want three of these sorts of pairs, even if you're not going to have the quality at the top. The point being, again, and this has been brought up in other sort of discussions, if you have the puck, they don't. Yes, if you have the exactly. puck, they're not scoring. It's very simple. It's very simple. <laughs> Question of physics. Yeah. And so how they don't have the puck is really immaterial. And, right. And so I think this, along with the fact that Rick Tockett, Adam Foote, Sergey Gonchar have been a little less willing to play lefties on their offside, I think this only increases the urgency for that right shot defenseman who can play second pair of minutes. Yeah. Again, currently, a healthy Chris Tanev is pretty much the perfect player. But at what cost? And 
do you feel like because he has so much history here, because he never really wanted to leave? Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, him and his missus still live here in the off season, right? He's a member at uh, Golf Probably, Club. Den- yeah. yeah. So would he be willing to give you a home team discount if you do execute a trade for him? So that the assets out the door aren't for nothing. Exactly. Now, they so are- that way you can justify a higher cost of acquisition because you know the player. First of all, you know the player you're getting back. And in a lot of cases, you don't really know yeah. the player that you're getting back. But secondly that you know the player you're getting back is also willing to re-sign here and re-sign at reasonable terms. Although the, the counter-argument to that is, well, then just wait and sign him in the summer to said thing with and keep the asset that you already have. But then you don't get to bolster your lineup for this year. Anyway, For whatever that's end, hey, end game is, right? Blake, just listen to the rundown of topics we just took on, and almost all of them can be cast in a positive light. Yeah, well, that's what winning does. Yeah, it's been a long time since winning. Yeah, these moment. are new conversations. Yes, isn't it? New isn't conversations, it fantastic. Yes. Bring them on. Yes, unbelievable. Now on to football, and I saw that Farhan tweeted that the Lions weren't quite as happy this off season or this year when doing their year-end press conference as they were a year ago. That's the reason. I mean, your season ended at the same stop that it ended. Last year, I thought Neil McAvoy put on a brave face yesterday with us. Um, but let's let's be clear here. This round, losing to that opponent next year will be unacceptable, right? Like at that point, then you have to really uh, well, go yeah. back to the drawing board in some respects. So, you know, big year coming up for the BC Lions in terms of showing that you're capable of getting over the Winnipeg hurdle. They also last year, remember, had Nathan Rourke. For as far as they know, they, they had suspicions he might leave, but they they didn't know for sure. I think they did. Um, but now, and, they, and that is a good comment. I mean, Neil made the point yesterday. We lost our starting quarterback to the NFL and made it back to the same place. Yeah. Which is is it is it fair to ask questions of whether or not VA is the guy or in this market with a position that is so tough to find these days? Do you just say, hey, we're lucky we've got VA at his best? He is clearly good enough to win you a Grey Cup. Given the dearth of quality quarterbacking, I think yeah. you should feel good. Yes, about I, I think so him. too. It's. I, I also do wonder if he's just good enough to get you beat in the big games. I would like to see him take better care of the football next year. Like we talked about, how their turnover differential was not very good this year. Yeah, that's typically an earmark of good teams, and so fewer turnovers from the quarterback next year has to be a thing. But you can also help him out by a protecting him better and b giving him a semblance of a running game. As Farhan tweeted, you know, the later part of the season, with the CFL running game pretty much being the RPO game, the run-pass option game, no no defense was respecting the run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, talking to a couple people, they, they thought the offensive line, actually, despite nine sacks, the, the nine sacks is sort of a, a bad indicator of how the O-line played. I um, thought the offensive line punched above its weight class most of the year. Yeah. But I still wonder if you can finesse it a little bit better. Like Chung's a good run blocker. He hasn't always been a great pass protector. And Neville, I you know, I am not sure he's a CFL starter. Couture's a good player. Uh, the the American tackles are good players, but you would like to see a little bit more there. I think and the good news is is 
they can sort of make that a priority amongst their Canadian shopping. If they get Katoy re-signed, if, if they take care of their own business, mm-hmm. then really there's not a lot of position groups on the team where you need a big influx of Canadian talent. No. Like you feel good about your linebackers, you feel good about your defensive linemen and your receivers. So, you know, both draft and free agency, I think you'll look to, to fortify your offensive line. Now, the 110th Grey Cup is underway the week in Hamilton. Our old friend Adam Big Hill tweeted, on the way to Hamilton, Grey Cup week, let's go. Uh, Coach Mike O'Shea said he wasn't going to rule Biggie out, but he is in a walking boot after that injury against the Lions. So, you know, that's really sad for a guy who's towards the end of his career, let's face it, and yeah. has been a sublime player and a terrific citizen up here, bringing his family up here in two markets in both BC and Vancouver and in Winnipeg. I, although I, I think I think he's been above board saying, I'm not done. Like I, you know, oh, I, I think yeah. Adam Big Hill strikes me as the guy who is going to play every single down until they come and take his equipment away forcibly. He might be doing special teams at 46. <laughs> you never know. Um, so, yeah, good good for Big E, and hopefully he uh, he gets to, to at least play a little bit. Commissioner Randy Ambrosi gave his State of the League press conference, and I must say, good on the league for moving this to the early part of the week because this tends to be a contentious press conference. This tends to create some negative headlines for the CFL. I think you're way better off doing it on the Tuesday. So you have this midweek, oh, you know, as opposed to on the Saturday. I know the league used to absolutely fear what Stephen Brunt was going to write in the Saturday (laughs) Global (laughs) Mail column coming off the Friday commissioner's press conference. One of the big takeaways from Randy Ambrosi, the Saturday playoff games are here to stay. Grey Cup Sunday is always going to be Grey Cup Sunday. They're not moving that game. But the semis and the finals are going to stay on the Saturday, the league reporting a 2.1% increase in television viewership with increased in-person attendance at three of the four contests this year. English language ratings for the East and West semis on November 4th dropped 4.1%, but the East and West final audience grew by 6.4%. 1.3 million watched the East final in either English or French. And one million watched the West Final, and I'm surprised that's as low as it is. Well, I'm surprised. By yeah, that. I, I mean, of course, television ratings across the board are down. You know, you go back far enough, you would have seen much higher ratings than that. But those are still pretty good numbers in today's day and age. And uh, the other thing you had, you had the three biggest markets in the league, in the. Semis. You had Vancouver, you had Toronto, you had Montreal. And the biggest news. To me, the biggest news of the finals week is the fact that Toronto drew numbers in person. It's too bad they couldn't reward those people with much of a game and and a win, certainly. Um, But, uh, but hey, for those that didn't think that was ever possible, they did it at least. Yes. Been there before. Covered some Big East final crowds in Toronto and just for whatever reason. Uh, NFL crazy ending to the Monday Nighter last night. And a head rolled in Buffalo today, although I'm not sure it's the right head. Offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey fired. All the analytics show that he is not the problem. Maybe Josh Allen taking care of the football would be a little bit more, uh, would be a better solution for the Buffalo Bills, who are at 5-5. Five and five. And Blake, I look at the AFC. As Ari Myroff tweeted, it's a bloodbath. You have one two-loss team in Kansas City. 
You have one two-win team in New England. Really, only the Patriots are out. Even three and six Tennessee, by virtue of their division, could still get there. And then you have half the conference, which is either at 500 or one game away from being 500. Meanwhile, in the no NFC. No great teams. And in the NFC, you've got a 111 winning percentage team in Carolina, two 200 win percentage teams in the Giants and the Cardinals, 330 and 300 teams in the Bears and the Packers. And the I mean, honestly, it's uh, two different leagues happening. Yeah, it really is. Now, I'm always hesitant to get too far away in our discussion of the NBA's return to Vancouver. One, because I firmly believe that Adam Silver and the NBA treat our city like a stalking horse. It's the Houston of uh, the National Hockey League? Yeah. For starters, and Silver was again yesterday talking about expansion after the next television deal. I think it's a foregone conclusion. It will be Seattle and Vegas. I think something would have to go completely off the rails for it to be somewhere other than Seattle and Vegas. I think the fact that he lumps Vancouver in with Montreal, which he has done, um, is telltale. Uh, That he talked about ongoing interest in Vancouver. Blake, as we have talked about a million times, there is really one ownership group and one ownership group only that makes sense for the NBA in Vancouver, and that is Canucks Sports and Entertainment. Why? Because they own the building, and if you're not going to own the building and control the building revenues, then the NBA, particularly at a $2 billion or whatever a entry fee may cost, does not make a whole lot of sense for you. So Canucks Sports and Entertainment would have to be the ownership group, and I just, well, I we know... If, we know that Francesco and the Aquilinis balked at the New Orleans Pelicans at several hundred million a number of years ago. So I just do not see the Aquilini family bucking up to the point of an NBA expansion fee when I'm not necessarily sure it advances the portfolio all that much. It's a very busy building to begin with. Yeah. I think they'd like the shine, the uh, the allure, the... Uh, you know, all the, all the, uh, all the dazzle that comes with the NBA, rubbing elbows with some of the biggest well, superstars, sporting superstars su- on earth. And as we said with the NBA's countless times, NBA superstars are right there, not wearing equipment that you can see them. They're unequivocally there in your town, and they're much bigger stars than hockey stars. They're they're global superstars, as opposed to hockey stars. You know, I don't know that anybody in the heart of China knows who Connor McDavid is. They sure as heck fire know who yeah. LeBron James is. So, yeah, there would be – it's another chance to have wins and losses too, right, which, uh, of course, owners love as well. But I, I it is a it is a, such a micro percentage chance. Also, he said Montreal reached out to the NBA. And, you know, to me that indicates that there's someone in Montreal who's more serious. And you can make the argument their basketball culture right now. They might be producing more well, they're, players. They're, they're definitely producing more players. Yeah. They're definitely producing more players. I mean, Dort, Boucher, you look at the college ranks now and you see more of the, the French-Canadian kid from Marquette who was drafted in the first round this year. So, yeah, uh, 
I, I just don't see Vancouver even being on the podium there in terms of cities that the NBA is going to expand to, but I do think they serve a purpose for Commissioner Adam Silver to drive those price tags up. You mentioned Mexico City as well. Do you think Mexico City is getting a team like? I don't think Mexico City is getting no. a team. No. Don't see it. Just let's, don't see it. Yeah. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta. Fantastic spot to catch the game throughout the season in the playoffs or a place to chill in the offseason. Ray Ferraro, remember him. Ray's dropping by here now, of course, part of the regional Canucks broadcast on Sportsnet, also doing his ESPN work. Get to tons of topics with Ray, including Rick Tockett, well, his new gig for sure, but Rick Tockett, Philip Ronick, the puck mover, of course, Ronick with Hughes, Brock Besser. JT Miller at Center Ice. Fantastic conversation with Ray. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Then John Shannon on Hockey Hall of Fame night on the calamity that is the Edmonton Oilers and where things go from here. On Bo Horvat and how he will be received at Rogers Arena. And, of course, his tenure here in Vancouver with the Canucks. Uh, as well, we get to, there was one other thing with John I wanted to flag. Ah, yes, the Calgary defenseman and who might be a good fit here. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. What more could you want in a captain? Understandably, everybody wanted more from the team's Bo Horvat captain here in Vancouver. But from him alone, personally, in isolation, as we talked about for years on this show, the Bo Horvat we got to know ostensibly cared about hockey, family, and community. That's it. He wasn't out for fame. There was no ego play. He took the role seriously and was far too often the only adult in the room. He was very much in the vein of Stan Smeal, Trevor Linden, and Henrik Sedin, a player and a person the Canucks and BC could be proud of. He took so many bullets after so many losses and always answered the bell. No hiding. Responsibility and accountability, those were his hallmarks. Many here chafed at the comments after the trade to the Islanders last season, and that was also understandable. Very jarring to hear Horvat toe the line with controversy. He didn't often throw shade, and if he was somewhat hurt that the Canucks chose JT Miller over him, I think one can understand that too. I do believe him when he clarified those remarks, saying he was more talking about the atmosphere at UBS Arena and the playoff push than what had become of the atmosphere at Rogers Arena. He wasn't wrong there either. And I also believe him when he says his frustration was with management and not the fans. Think of the dysfunction above him during his nine-year tenure here in Vancouver. A lack of vision, coaching changes, management infighting, COVID outbreaks, financial taps being turned off as soon as the team was showing progress. It's a lengthy list of bullshit, and through it all, Horvat remained the company man. Many would have soured sooner and asked out. He didn't. So with regards to Bo's return to Rogers Arena tomorrow night, I sure hope the overwhelming number of those in attendance give him the warm welcome and the tribute he deserves. 
because like Smeal and others before him, he was a martyr for this franchise. And your anger is better directed at those above him. That's welcome at for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at securesomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter at Matt Sikaris, at Sikaris and Price, and the welcome at a presentation of Great Clips, the official hair salon of the NHL, 37 of them in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. Sikaris and Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And at Applewood right now, all you need to know is that they've got stock. At Applewood Nissan in Surrey, a huge stock of EVs like the famous Nissan Leaf rates from 5.99%. So you want to join the electric revolution? The answer is Applewood Nissan in Surrey. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, did the Bo Horvat trade start the Canucks turnaround? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Joined now by an old friend, ESPN hockey analyst and uh, Vancouver home. Canucks yes. hockey yeah. analyst on Roger Sportsnet, Ray Ferraro. How you doing? I'm well. I'm uh, yeah, back home for a couple days and uh, off to Chicago for Go watch Connor Bedard make the NHL look like a junior league again. I, yeah. I just, can you guys believe that? Like uh, the last few amazing. games, especially. Oh my yeah, goodness! Amazing, yeah. amazing to watch. Good for him. He's a terrific kid, man. How's the new gig? Uh, it's been well, two games, so tough for it to go south yet. Um, you know, we've uh, it, it's great fun. Like honestly, like to work with Shorty and Murph. Um, you know, I mean, they're really good friends and, uh, you know, to, I mean, that it's just, it's so fun. And so here are two things I think that I, that really struck me doing the games this week is, you know, I've been listening to Shorty since I moved to Vancouver, right? It's 20 years and to work and to listen are two different things. And you've never done a game with them, right? Uh, we did, I think one or two three man booths where Cheech and him were upstairs. Oh, okay. Remember the old pay-per-view? Yes. Right, right, right. Okay. I mean, so that was like, that doesn't yeah. even really count, but no. so doing these games, I'm like, Shorty's so good. He's just good. He's just, you know, like he's to listen to him is one thing, but like, he's just, he's got all this, um, like historical knowledge that he can pull up at any time. He's funny. He's, you know, his call is so good. Um, so that's the first thing is just like, you know, it was really easy to, to step in, even though we'd never done a game. And then when I first started, Greg Shannon was the, was my producer half the time in Edmonton. And so 20 years later, um, you know, same voice is in my ear and it was just really easy to do and really fun. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it way more guys than I, than I even anticipated. It, it sounded easy. As, uh, has the AGM had to correct you on anything just yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm uh, all all on board so far. No, it's uh, we. I, I've told you guys before. You'd be surprised how little discussion there is. Um, certainly, it's happier discussion these days. But like, there's there's you know, I don't I don't pretend to tell her 
about her job and she doesn't often tell me about mine. That's, you know, so it's been, that's pretty good. That, that works pretty good. Probably nice to get a break too, from talking about that. You guys do it all day oh, long. Gotta, so. Yeah. You know what we talk about? Who's picking up who at what park or yeah. what field at what time and you know, the race is on. Uh, what do you make of this start? You're, you've got two games, and, and they were both Casey DeSmith games, incidentally, so you still haven't seen Thatcher Demko up close and personal. But, I mean, it, I, I think everybody thought this team was headed in the right direction, Ray, but n- not to this extent. And there are a lot of caveats. There's a lot of asterisks and explanations for how they've got to 11-3-1, but the points are there, and, and they don't give them back. And that's the good news for, for Canuck fans, no matter what happens from here. But could you even have imagined that there'd be an 11-3-1 stretch at any point this season? Well, at, at any point, maybe, you know, like, I, I mean, teams get hot, right? Like, but out of the gate, like I look at Vegas and Boston and like, did anyone think Boston was going to be 11 and one? Not, like, not a chance, even though, you know, even though they're very good, you're like, oh, they lost their two best centers and Taylor Hall's gone. They lost some cap stuff. And I mean, you never really expect this, but I, I think there's a couple of things that really have impressed me the most. And it starts with with Rick Tockett is so the management puts a team together, then it goes to the coach and the coach does with it, whatever he can, but his predictability or rather his consistency day to day. Now we don't see what he does in the locker room, but every day his message is kind of the same. It's the same thing. It's predictable. The players will tell you they don't listen to it uh, out in the public. Nobody has social media, but everybody seems to know. Um, he's very, very consistent. And what the consistency brings is a predictability for what the players can expect. And so when things go sideways, I'm most impressed that they don't blow up, that the game isn't just gone. Now, sometimes it's a goalie. Sometimes it's locking things back to, a a portion of the game where you got to survive because that happens lots of times, right? For, for every team like this, this, Oh, we got to play a 60 minute game. That's a fallacy. That doesn't happen. The other team tries really hard too. And so there, there might be 10 or 12 minutes where you're just hanging on. They don't give the game away. And so I, I think that's the stuff I'm most impressed with the play of individual guys is, you know, I mean, it, you know, it speaks for itself, whether, you know, it's, it's Besser, you know, and Hughes and Pedersen and Miller. And now they're starting to get some goals from the bottom end of the lineup. And, you know, their, their goalies are, have been terrific. Like it's straight across the board. It's been as great a start as you could, as you could ask for. What do you make of the superstars getting better? I mean, how hard is that when you've already reached, you know, eight out of 10 status in the NHL and and to, to crank it up one more notch for Hughes and Pedersen like they have. And and actually, I mean, we could make the argument Pedersen hasn't even cranked it up a notch. The points are just there because um, it still seems like he could he could go even better than he, he's going. But Quinn Hughes most certainly has found a new level. So I'm going to compare this to when Sidney Crosby was a rookie. He was predictably very poor uh, in, in the face-off circle. And he, he went away in the summer and worked extensively on his face-offs because he realized like, oh, what I was doing isn't going to work. So he went away and he worked on it. 
And I don't think since that time he's been under 50% on the draw. So Quinn Hughes goes away this summer and he talks about how he's worked on his shot, but worked on connecting his hands and his feet. And so once he makes that, you know, where he loses the forward, like it's like he drops, you know, quicksand behind him and the forward gets stuck and he just keeps going. But how quickly he now shoots the puck and how often he looks for it. It's like he decided um, this is the next layer of my game. And like I, for example, I would often think there's another layer to my game. I just couldn't get there. Like as hard as your work, it just wasn't there. He said, and because it's his interviews, right, that he talks about, he wanted to be more of a danger, more of a threat, more of an option with the shot. And then he went and made it happen. Like the other night in Montreal, um, it, well, it was all three games really on the trip, but Montreal in particular, I noticed like he was coming off of that little top seam and it's shot every time. Before it seemed like it was pass first and oh, now I've got to shoot it. And I, so that's where his game has gone to me. Like that's the next stage of it. I'm with you on Pedersen to the point that he's got, he's got so many layers to his game and the points are here right now. And, you know, talk had said, I think in, uh, where were they? Maybe in Toronto that he's, you know, he's got a couple of things he's working through. I, I think that was the day he said it. And that's probably the case, but he's just so good that you can play with 80% of a toolbox or whatever number you want to put on it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just, their power plays great. So there's going to be points there. There's the fact they can match up centers and not have to use their third line as their matchup guys means their big boys can be on the ice all the time. I mean, that's a, that's a great luxury. A lot of teams don't have that. And Cuse has talked about that for a couple of years now in training camp. People have asked him about being more of a scoring threat, but this year he's absolutely put it in practice. It's uh, very evident. I mean, that, I'm sure you saw that stat last week of he has possessed the puck something like eight or nine minutes more than any other player in the NHL, that, that, which that's, is that's just staggering. Miles. It's yeah. miles away. Like it, it, Sometimes I laugh like when you see an offensive zone possession after a period of a team. And it feels like team A has got the puck the whole time in the offensive zone. And they they have like 48 seconds more. Like it's not very much. Right. But 48, just think of 48 straight seconds of the puck being in the offensive zone. And you go, oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Never mind being on your stick in possession of your, like a person. It's not just slapping around the boards, right? It's like, it's like his numbers are, you know, his numbers are off the charts. Um, really almost across the board. A lot of Canucks fans, a lot of our listeners will identify Philip Ronick as one of the big reasons behind this turnaround, Ray. I'd like your two cents on his game. The fact that he's with Hughes and of course, you know, the big question going forward is going to be if you're going to pay him what uh, this season is, is going to, you know, going to have to pay him. Uh, Do you need to see him anchoring his own pair? Oh, no, absolutely not. Uh, And the reason I say that is, um, like, for example, uh, I made the comparison, I guess it would have been the Ottawa game, that uh, Hironic and and Hughes are, in a sense, part of the new way that the game is played. 
Colorado has Devon Taves and Kale McCarr. That's a $15 million defense pair. They don't play on separate pairs. And the reason they don't is because you don't need a big clunker to play with a skilled defenseman anymore. That was the way it always was. Defensive, stay at home with a puck mover. What about if you got two puck movers together? Now, you need another pair to be able to play, you know, and, and hold minutes while they're not out there. So that's that's why I say I, I, I think I've evolved in my thought of that is that, and, and the Colorado pair is the one that really changed changed the deal for me is that they're they're unique and if you have unique players why take away half of what they do by giving them a partner that can't pass a puck like Hughes and Veronic don't get scored on because they're never in their end they get the puck and it's one pass and it's out of the zone like Heronic plays a really in my opinion a real simple game like he gets the puck he gets his head up the ice and it's one pass generally and they're gone and so it's it's not a complicated way to play like i'll, I'll say quinn plays a complicated game because he's got the puck on his stick a lot and he you know he's weaves his way out of the zone by himself he's more of a transporter than heronic is heronic's just to get it move it gone and um yeah but for any of these players like man, you got to pay your best, man. It's like, you're going to squeeze the margins elsewhere, but everybody's all excited about this $4 million of cap room for all these teams. And well, you're for, in a lot of cases, you get to keep the same team. That's, it's, it's already spent. Yes, it's, exactly. it's already spent. It's like, you know, I mean, the, you know, the two big Canadian markets we talk about are, you know, are Toronto and Vancouver. And you know, I, I don't know what you guys think William Nylander is going to cost, but oh boy. there goes a lot of their cap room, yeah. right? Like, hey, great, we got four million dollars in cap room. Oh, here you go, William. Rick hasn't Rick it, Rick hasn't taxed those defensemen to, to like Drew Doughty like levels. Um, are you against? Well, that's I, that's the big question, right? Like, are you against a twenty-seven minute night for Hughes and and Hronik? I To me, I like especially when the going gets tough in in March. Like if they're in a fight there. You do it you just because like you just need to get across the finish line. You don't need to do it now, so they're not doing it now. But would you ultimately be against you know regular twenty-seven minute nights like they used to do with Dowdy? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. Um, yeah. I, I, I just think the the potential for wear and tear and um, what that means for a defenseman in particular is you get hit a few more times because you're tired. You're not as elusive. What, what if one of those extra hits is the one that puts you on the shelf? Yeah. So uh, the Canucks right now, I, I think, guys, I think they got 10 games in the next 18 days. And if, if you're relying on those two to play 25, 6, 7 minutes a night for the next 18 days, you're going to wear them down fast. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the goal is always to keep their minutes snug, but there's probably going to be some nights where they're going to have big minutes, big minute nights. Cox have uh, avoided some soap operas here uh, with the start as well. And it's uh, it's quite joyful for Canucks fans, I think, to look around mm-hmm. the division and see uh, Rome burning on several fronts. Um, the, the division has made this start even better, hasn't it? Because mm-hmm. um, the usual characters, Alberta in particular, and even Winnipeg, uh, in terms of a playoff spot, not in terms of their division, but um, 
you know, like they're just not there. Like this, the, the, the Red Sea has parted for them in a lot of ways to get to the playoffs. There's, there's so much that has to go right all the time for teams. And I, I think a lot of times when another team is rolling along, we, because it's not right in our face, we don't notice all the things that have gone well for them at that time. Like Boston, for example, got off to a great, like a great start. And Jim Montgomery says constantly, yeah, we had an easy schedule or an easier schedule, lots of days off among the games and our goaltending has been phenomenal. And so they put together some other people's struggles that came right on their plate and they took advantage of them. So the Canucks could have the same schedule and not win. And it wouldn't matter what all these other guys are doing. The fact that they've put these points in the bag already, man, that that makes the rest of the year breathable because you are going to have a one win in five game stretch somewhere. It Otherwise, you set a new points record every year, right? Like it's going to happen for uh, Vegas is going to run into some tough times. Boston's going to run into some tough times. It just... You don't play 82 games unless you're last year's Bruins team without it. So like what's happened in Alberta, I more predictable maybe in Calgary, but um, not to the extent where they're now looking to just, it appears to just completely tear it down and move those free agent D, which are, I mean, those are, those are big pieces for them. You know, and that, like, that Montgomery yeah. quote that you talked about, that, that kind of describes the Canucks. Yeah. I mean, they've had a favorable schedule. They've had some days yeah. off and all that sort of, but you still, you don't give, you don't apologize for getting those wins. No, you? no. Yeah. Uh, and sustainability, of course, is what you're looking for uh, from this point forward. And if you're the defending Stanley Cup champions, you probably feel pretty good about your ability to sustain, whereas the Vancouver Canucks probably feel like this is a challenge they have not yet met no, That's right. Yeah. as a team and or- mm-hmm. organization. Uh, Ray, I, I'm not sure in all the conversations we've had on this show that uh, a player has featured more than Brock Besser. Because in the early days, it was like, look at this kid. He could be a salvation. He's a better two-way player. What a goal scorer. And then, of course, in the later years, it was more about what he's not right. doing. What have you made of Besser's turnaround this year? Uh, to me, it it's always, it's always been the same. Uh, and maybe you guys will remember, but... Um, this is my view on, on Besser. He doesn't need to be a great skater. He needs to get one to two feet away from his defender, from the guy checking him. He needs two feet to make the play because everybody needs two feet. And when he struggled, um, he does not separate when he, like, I, I think he skates better now than I remember him in the last couple of years, certainly like there's a, he's never going to be an up on your toes, explosive, fast guy, but he's a little more agile. He's a little quicker. He's a little more tenacious, which probably helps that he feels better on the ice. And I think that's the, that's the biggest difference. I mean, he's, he's gotten some, some bounces, anybody that has a good year, gets bounces there. You just, it, it just is like Chris Kreider scored 52 goals a couple of years ago. Any rebound that was within three feet of him, not only did he get it, he scored like that. It just doesn't happen all the time. 
So when I look at Besser, it's like he's, he just seems like he's fresher, faster, quicker. And without getting into, um, you know, time away from the loss of his dad, but I, I went through that in, in my career. It is, you, you have a hole, you know, like he, he talked about, has talked very openly about how close he is and close he was with his dad. I would, that's what my dad was for me. And what I learned was the hole that's there, you never fill it in. You just learn a little better about how to walk around it. And I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be qualified to speak on his behalf for that, but I know that's what it was for me. And it just, you just kind of, it, it just, everything kind of settles a little bit and you learn what your new reality is. He, he looks terrific. He really does. Finally, let's uh, preview the Islanders if we can. I was going to ask one more question okay, sure. just because uh, we asked this of Corrado last week. I thought he gave a fantastic answer and, and Ray, like Frankie can uh, explain to you the X's and O's of the game. But there was a while there, Ray, where we all thought JT Miller is a fantastic winger and he's a good centerman, but the 200 foot, and I know you hate that term, but the 200 foot responsibilities at center ice weren't necessarily his jam. What do you make of Miller at center these days? Well, Ken Hitchcock, who just went in the hall of fame said, one of the best things a coach can be is a salesman. And basically you're selling your idea to the player where he thinks it's a really good idea. And so you know, if, if, if you're the idea you're selling to your team, if they think it's ludicrous, you're not a very good coach because the results are going to be very predictable. Somewhere in the Rick talk at early days, um, he clearly identified, you know, through management that this is, and his contract, this is a very significant player for us. We got to find a way to reach him. And it was pretty obvious when they decided to sign him that he was going to be a part of the long-term future of this team. So now you've got to get him to do as much as you think he's able to do. And sometimes the player, any player will not think of it. You know, like Al Arbor pushed me into places that uh, in parts of the game that I didn't even really know were there. Um, and I think they, they've connected to a point where JT Miller sees his impact on this team. And he sees it in an important manner. Like to, to be, it's great as a winger, to be a passing winger, to do what he's doing now is impactful in so many places on the ice. Like he is, he is a monster for them. He's had a monster first quarter of the season. And whether it's his face-offs, his penalty killing, his his matchup game, like he'd be brutal to play against uh, as another center because he's a little mean, he gets angry, he is skilled, he can skate, like he'd be hard to play against. And, and of course, the points are, are just like another extension of all of it. I don't think I always believe good offense comes from good defense. You know, that's coach speak. It actually seems to be working for uh, for JT Miller right now. Uh, finally, Bull Horvath coming back to town. 
And it's different when you're uh, like a longtime player for an organization. You come back as a shadow of yourself with a different organization, just kind of the swan song. Like Kessler coming back wasn't the same because Kessler wasn't the same when he mm-hmm. came in as a visitor. Um, but Horvath's still in the prime of his career. Um, uh, you did this. You you got traded in the prime of your career. Um, what do you think Bo Horvath's thinking as he as he comes into town and 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 sees his old team excelling and he's sort of he's back with the canuck like performance with the islanders and they're kind of in the middle and they're gonna have to be scrapping if he's anything like me he wants to score badly mm-hmm. oh i wanted to score i did too it was great i, <laughs> I did in your first game against the Hartford yeah. Oilers, or yeah. really yeah, sean, wow. burke, sean burke I, I oh i it's so weird though like when when bull comes into the rank tomorrow for morning skate he comes in the bus and they go down the ramp and you come in the back door and you're he probably hasn't been in that hallway 15 times in all his years here like and then you go to the bench and everything of course is flipped Mm -hmm. like nothing looks the same and it's the oddest circumstance and he'll want to play well he'll want to win it will all feel um just a little off for him like he'll be comfortable right in the city of course it's place where he grew up but uh, as a player but it will be different it is a strange strange day for sure will he try to do too much is there is there that risk when you're when you're in these situations or do you, he's he's a guy that generally plays within himself but there might be enough motivation here yeah I, well i think there it's possible there'll be times where he tries to make a rush that isn't there. Um, you know, like, he, so, you know, Barzell's coming back home too. He likes the puck a lot. Like there's the potential for, you know, for both of them to either be great or to try too much. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I think after a, a shift or two, you kind of settle in and you just play, but it will not like when the day's over tomorrow, when he gets back on the bus, I don't know if the Islanders are leaving after the game tomorrow. He'll be exhausted. Yeah. There'll be so much extra energy spent in the day. Um, he'll be exhausted. Thanks, Ray. Good to catch up. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was catching my voice there. I'm, I'm fighting a horrible cold. So I just want well, to sure I, I, I would say you're not the only there. one. You're not the yeah. only one around here. Yeah. Those, I mean, seems to be everywhere but uh good to talk to you again and um we will we will be in touch i'm sure Secure some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags the best and worst of Twitter. Brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. Lots of reasons to give Jason Hominick a call at Jason.Mortgage. Remember, he's the guy that you actually talk to. No middleman there. Straight to Jason. And if you're thinking of buying a new house, and eh, there's still a few of you out there that are doing that, maybe your mortgage is merely up for renewal. Lock in that rate. Make sure you get the lowest possible rate. And even if... And let's all cross our fingers. The rates go down. You'll still get the lower of those two options. Or maybe you're just trying to extract some money out of your house. Talk about it with Jason Hominick. Jason.mortgage. Going to start here. We mentioned this yesterday on the National Football League at Joe Pompliano. People say the NFL will add expansion teams in Europe. But I still think the single biggest determinant is the lack of quality quarterback play. 
total scoring is at a 13-year low. Yeah. And one-third of all starting quarterbacks today's, today are rookies. In fact, we are seeing things this year in the NFL that we haven't seen, like undrafted free agent quarterbacks. My, my guy, Bajent, in Chicago, starting games. There's just not enough QB talent for expansion. So uh, let's just run it down here, Blake. Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Herbert, Hertz, Dak, Trevor Lawrence, all of them stars or superstars, right? I think C.J. Stroud is moving towards that in Houston. He's having a sublime rookie year. Matthew Stafford, when he's healthy, sure, but he's close to aging out here. Kyler Murray, when he's healthy, can do some extraordinary things, as we saw on Sunday. And then Geno may be a the next guy. That gets you like 13 quarterbacks out of 32 teams. One of the issues here, look at the number of great quarterbacks you have lost over the last seven, eight years. Manning. Manning and Manning. Yeah, Manning and well. Manning, yes. Brady. Breeze. And then former MVPs, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Philip Rivers, who totally. was always close to that level, Roethlisberger. I'm not necessarily sure we have replaced them. No. And more so than how many good to great starting quarterbacks do you have, Joe hits it. It's that bottom third of quarterbacks that can really bring down the quality of play. In the NFL. And I think we're seeing that this year. I've never been more dismayed because I often can't sit down and watch back to back three hour games with uh, the insanity in my house. But, um, you know, I'll tune in for often fourth quarters and I'll get there and it's 12 9. And I'm just thinking, what? And like it, it happens with regularity. And, and you say it's just the bottom third. But let me post this to you too. Like, even the guys that we have some confidence in. How consistent, and I thought he was consistent, but he's proving me wrong now. How consistent is Josh Allen? Is Joe Burrow? Is Tuatunga Viola? Like, these are the ones we thought were going to be the good ones. And on some days they can be. And, and really, I, the first few seasons of Josh Allen I thought were remarkable. But my goodness, is he mortal now? We've already seen within this body of this season how mortal Burrow and Tunga Viola are. Like, I don't even know how great the superstars are anymore. Do they shine anywhere close to as bright as the guys before them? Well, you've got this year somewhere between six to ten teams that are downright unwatchable. Yeah. So that affects your card each and every weekend. Like when the Jets play the Giants and we can all ignore it, and we noted a couple weeks back that you had the Gotham rivalry that nobody cared about. Yes. But, you know, Giants, Patriots, Jets, Panthers, Titans, Raiders, Bears, Steelers, Cardinals, Falcons. They've all taken turns being downright unwatchable this year. And the other thing that I'll add here, and this is something that has been at play for 15 to 20 years now. And I've had some great discussions with this in the, on this topic with Farhan Lalji and others. NCAA coaches now are no longer saying we are developing quarterbacks for the next level. They are developing quarterbacks for their system, for their and industry. what they run, yeah. and their next opponent, and how we're going to beat them. And if that means uh, starting a guy like Tim Tebow, 
who is going to be an absolute tire fire mechanically in terms of the way he throws the football, but can be one of the greatest college football players of all time, so be it. Yeah. And if Josh McDaniels and guys in the NFL want to look at him and go, ah, we'll draft him and fix him, even after playing all these years, yeah. and you know, trying to fix him at age 23, 24, whenever you get into the league. And some can be fixed, but some won't some, be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Great example. He has steadily improved. Good on him. Didn't for a second think that he would be this quality of NFL starting quarterback when he was at uh, Oklahoma or Alabama. Um, so be it. Take your chances. Try and fix them. I think a lot of guys are proven they can't be fixed. Like, are we going to see quarterbacks now drafted late first round? Like, the, the top quarterback going 12th oh, yeah. overall because you're not sure if he's ready. And, and, and yet the position is so important, so important in the modern NFL that you're continuously, I think, are going to see people taking shots yep. at quarterback. Because if you're going to be wrong, be wrong on a quarterback. Don't be wrong on a guard or a linebacker. Right. So. Then you're really going to be pinching. Yeah. It's, it's an odd year. It's an odd uh, time right now for the NFL. At Joe underscore Warrington, um, columnist, breaking British police have arrested hockey player Matt Petgrave and charged him with manslaughter in the death of Adam Johnson developing um boy some people threw this out when the incident happened um and the, the death of adam johnson because there is a motion of sorts made with the skate as he's going down um in the direction of adam johnson not for a second did i think that this would actually happen um but clearly police have looked at the video from a thousand different angles as much as they can and they think that there was not an attempt to kill, obviously. That's not what manslaughter is about. Or the, a recklessness um, that caused Leading death. to the loss of life, yeah. Um, and boy, wow. this is going to change the life of one Matt Peckrave, isn't it? Oh. Part of me wonders whether these charges would be laid in a country that was more hockey fluent. Yeah, it's a good question, too. Yeah. At, uh, at nuclear golf. Rory McIlroy reveals that Tiger Woods reached out to him following the dispute with Joe LaCava in Rome at the Ryder Cup. Rory, quote, There was also three texts and two missed calls from Tiger because obviously they're still close. I sent him a quick message. It will be fine. Long day. I just want to go to bed. This is an interview he did with the Irish Independent. He also said he regrets his outburst directed at Jim's at Jim Bones Mackay at the Ryder Cup. You remember, might remember this in the parking lot. Yes. Rory, quote, he's coming over to try and defuse the situation, but he's wearing an American top, and I know he's friends with Joe, and I just tripped. Complete rage. I felt bad about it afterwards because Bones' wife was standing beside him, <laughs> and I used a lot of swear words, so not my finest moment. Then Shane, as in Lowry, bundled me into the car. And when Shane's bundling you into the car for swearing, you know things have gone off the rails. And this is why people love Rory McIlroy. Yeah. Just completely owned it. Yeah, very, very, very human guy, but uh, hey, love the ownership. Love the emotion, too. Yeah. Like, it's a, you know, for me, it was a great Ryder Cup moment. I, I know the players and the, you know, the, those who wear blazers around the Ryder Cup probably don't feel the same. But as a viewer, I was completely compelled. What What's funny is, it, and for a, a sport that it, it prides itself on sort of on etiquette and stuff and an honor system in a lot of ways, um, 
you know, they make their way past moments like that pretty pretty good, actually. They really do. Because, like, if that happens, like, if that happened in the NHL, if there was, like, a, like a parking lot incident. Yes. or the, Like, that is, that's huge news. Oh, We're probably absolutely. not moving past it so quickly. That Like, that was a fun headline for 24 hours. And then we're like, okay. What's the score? <laughs> you know, like hell, if that happens to us. It, yes, yeah, like, uh, and the other thing is, is I, I, I mean, you talk about honor. This goes back to a breach of etiquette and the honor code, right? Involved, right? Yeah, that was the genesis. You know, of it, like yeah. Joe, you are totally within your rights to celebrate a huge made putt by your guy, Kentley. But the second you're doing it. On the European putting line, you were breaching the etiquette of the game. Yeah. And at that point, you're in the wrong, and Rory wasn't having it that day. <laughs> at Haley underscore Salvian, PWHL jerseys for its inaugural season have been unveiled. Keywords, quote, for its inaugural season. These designs are temporary for year one, given the league, giving the league time to get team names and logos right. Remember, the season doesn't start until January. This is um, supported by the National Hockey League now, this new women's league. And they say they can't get the things in order for January. So what they've done, Matt, is take tricolor schemes, and it's just the city name on a diagonal Yeah, for all of the teams. It looks so house league, yeah. so unprofessional, and the very idea of – Getting the support of the big names and big was to make this league look right, and it's really disheartening that it's that they're going this route here for year number one. Me thinks they probably could have done better. Well, how much time and money would it take to secure a good graphic design shop and say we need one in three weeks? Improve on this. Yeah, yeah. Like honestly, like it. It can't be that difficult. No. You're looking at our logo going, we didn't take well, that long. I'm just, I'm just wondering how long our logo took. I don't I, think it was that long. No. I think it's a pretty good one. Disappointed. At Practical Golf, this is John Sherman. Participation in golf among 6- to 12-year-olds is up 33%. Some team sports are down significantly, most notably baseball and tackle football. What do you think is happening? This is sports age 6 to 12, Blake, and I got to say, the two biggest ones, the ones that have seen the greatest participation increase are golf and tennis. Individual sports in the pandemic, right? They've gone down? No, they've gone gone up. up. Yeah, you'd think, yeah. Tackle football is down 13%. Ice hockey down 17%. Wrestling down 23%. Cheerleading down 23%. Baseball down 20%. Gymnastics down 15%. And lacrosse down 26%. You know what else I think is at play here? Parents don't want their kids playing the quote-unquote more dangerous sports. The concussion sports. Yeah, maybe. Plus, in the pandemic, you weren't able to play these team sports as readily. So outdoor sports golf certainly. and tennis yeah. make a lot more sense, right? Yeah. Not close quarters. Exactly. Outdoors. Golf saw an incredible boom mm-hmm. during the pandemic because it was a sport you could safely play. 
And so everybody who had ever picked up a golf club picked the sport back up. Tennis courts were pretty full, too. You yes, drove they were. Around the oh, neighborhoods. my goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm in kits. There was yeah. a lot of tennis courts. They were super busy yeah. at all times. The question now, is that temporary? Is that something that's going to endure? I, I think there'll be, a t- uh, there'll be a permanent gap for those kids in those years. But I think that it eventually gets back up. But I don't think it, you don't you don't get back some of those players that went away from no, that sport. No, you don't get them back. It, it, most likely, you don't get them back. So anymore. to bring this full circle, Blake, mm. there are some boys who could have been NFL star quarterbacks. Yeah, maybe that's it. Who are now playing golf and tennis. <laughs> that's hashtags for today. We're joined by John Shannon, the former executive producer, Hockey Night in Canada, of course, the co-host of the Bobby Cowan podcast, and you're fresh from the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony last night, John, one of your favorite nights of the year. You know, um, the NHL and, and, and the hockey world, the Hall of Fame is not run by the NHL, it's run on, under its own guise, and there's a board, and the IHF's involved, the NHL's involved, the City of Toronto's involved. Um, and it is spectacular because nobody walks in the building on that Monday night worrying about wins or losses or what should happen and everybody's in the right mood. And, and the hockey world does two things right, the draft and Hall of Fame night. And so I walked up to a president of a club last night and they said, well, here we are on the only night that's not going to be screwed up because you're going to screw up the draft. Uh, don't screw up the draft and don't screw up Hall of Fame night. It, 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 there is so much fun. Um, meet, seeing old friends, um, seeing Hall of Famers. Uh, there's a little bit of that uh, kid in the room when I uh, walk around and see guys. Um, well, most of them are now my contemporaries, but some of the older guys that are in the Hall of Fame that I watched as a kid that are able to walk around still. It's, it's really cool. And then, and then when your friends go in, right? You know, Mike Vernon, I've known Mike Vernon since he was 16 years old. He's in the Hall of Fame. And our old pal Hitch. You know, and Kenny and I go back a long way, and to see Ken there last night, um, I've never seen him humbled and quiet as he was last night because I think he was just overwhelmed with everything that happened. Pretty good speeches, though. Like we accused the hockey players during their careers of being, uh, you know, cliche-ridden, and a lot of them are. Uh, but even the cliche ridden guys, often they get to that dais and uh, they've got some pretty good things to say. And uh, it's uh, it's too bad that it takes to that point some, for some of them to to be that verbose and, and to to uh, to let us inside a little bit. But uh, the speech is pretty good. Oh, everybody. I mean, not everybody's Hen- Henrik Lundqvist, let's face it. But, um, you know, uh, a guy like Vernon, who was always known as a little bit flippant and and. Uh, but when he got on the ice, he was a competitor. To me, when Mike gets up and speaks like that, you go, holy smokes. This, this game does create some character in some people, and it, it's really nice, to, really nice to see. It was, just, it was one of those events that you, you, you don't want it to end. You know? And uh, when my Uber driver showed up, it was, it was this is sad it's taking Cinderella back home, huh, John? <laughs> yeah, the pumpkin, the the pumpkin, pumpkin. was ready, ready to oh. change. But it was a little later than I had imagined, but it, we got home on time. So, 
It's always later with you, Shannon. That's my experience. No, well, that's what, I mean, hey, listen, you, I, I'm, I've never been in this business just for the nuts and bolts. I'm in for the frivolity and fun. And sure. People. That's what it's all about. I remember closing a bar in Chicago with you once upon a time in a draft. Do not tell <laughs> okay, me. Okay, all right, all right, mom's the word. Let me ask you this. You say it's perfect, but teams play and it doesn't have the whole attention of the modern day nhl because others are engaged should right. it be dark should the nhl go dark for hall of fame yeah, night? It, it should uh but it can't uh, you know there are contractual obligations to networks rogers needs a monday night game on their on their calendar and the hall of fame which is a relationship with tsn so obviously there's a rivalry there um you know, has, has this Monday night. The NHL does its best to try to help. Uh, you know, the Friday night game, the Flames uh, playing the Maple Leafs, the Hall of Fame night, which was, uh, and, then the, and then the Canucks are in on Saturday. Uh, Leafs, Leafs have rarely played back-to-back games in 24 hours at home, but the, the league tries to help the Hall of Fame out with that game on Friday night. And this case was because Mike Vernon was a, a, a Canadian going or a flame going in and it just made some sense that way but i i'd love to see a dark night uh, you know i mean colorado well, me, played last night too and 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 pierre lacroix was one of the guys honored that's right so let me ask this then should the hall of fame find a different night should they hall of fame find a off calendar night do it in that's the a summer question or yeah, between yeah. the preseason and the regular season you know like that those couple of days there it, it's it's not a uh, it shouldn't be out of the question, uh, it, but there should be more synergy between the two. But you know there and and I I say this unabashedly. There still there are still egos involved. The hall wants to make sure that it is not known as the NHL Hall of Fame. It's known as the Hockey Hall of Fame. So they don't want to be pushed around by the NHL, uh, both uh, it, it, even if it's obvious. Even though the commissioner speaks, um, there's there's more at stake for uh, all of the game of hockey, whether it's the federation who and the IIHF have really uh, upped their game and in being involved in the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, the international part of the game, uh, women's hockey, part of that. Um, it, it's difficult to to try to say, okay, we have to uh, you know cater to the NHL when there there are no other valuable constituents involved in in the hall and in the game of hockey okay so here's the tough question um i, I we may have asked you this when the uh, class was announced and i think hitch gets the a pass because he's fourth in all-time wins he's he belongs there for sure the three players in my opinion uh, the men's players bubble players like they're right there for me because i'm a small hall guy um do you draw that's a mine, that's a mine. Yeah. Yeah. so where do you fall on these guys uh well uh I, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, with his numbers, um, with an Olympic gold medal, I'm I'm a I'm big on championships. Mm-hmm. I believe in championships being a factor, not the only factor, but being a factor. So Henrik Lundqvist didn't win the Stanley Cup, did get to the final, uh, but won Olympic gold in 2006, and was the only reason they got to the gold medal game in 2014, in my opinion, against Canada. Uh, so Henrik Lundqvist. Um, with what he did as a New York Ranger, I think is probably as good as you're going to get. Mike Vernon should have been in before, 
you know, a Conn Smythe Trophy winner, two Stanley Cups, won the World Junior Hockey Championship. Pretty good numbers uh, overall. And I mean, it's it, it, the day after he got inducted, he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame. You know, should Pierre Turgeon be part of that? I don't know. Pierre Turgeon is the one for me that I go. Mm-hmm. But then, then you talk to people who have played against him and were much closer to him than I am, and they just they can't stop talking about how he had been snubbed and how great he was as a player and and the value he had to a team. And Tom Barrasso should have been in ages ago too. Tom Barrasso took a long time to get in the Hall of Fame because Tom Barrasso can be a little prickly. Mm. Um, and wasn't a friend of ours, any of ours, um, in, in this business. And, and therefore, fans thought he was a bit of a jerk. Uh, but that didn't stop him from being a great goaltender, being a great goaltender at the age of 18 to win two trophies in his first year as a teenager, and then to win the two Stanley Cups with Mario Lemieux in Pittsburgh. A little prickly. Very, well, di- very diplomatic ambassador, it, Shannon. It's it's Tuesday. I'm being yes. Uh, the first year, uh, the first ballot candidates next year are Shea Weber, Pavel Datsuk, Ilya Kovalchuk, Ryan Miller. Hmm. Who hmm. you like from there? Uh, Datsuk, right? We, can we all yeah. agree Datsuk will be in? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Datsuk's yeah. in for sure. Yeah. What about the others? I'm I, I'm in Blake's bubble world. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have Shea Weber in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, do we just put him in the Hall of Fame because he's got a great shot? Yeah. I mean, certainly was a big part of Canadian Olympic gold medal teams, the last uh, not Stanley Cup champion. You start start pinpointing that type of thing with – and he was a great player in the NHL, didn't get the notice at all in Nashville, let's face it. We never saw him play, but everybody talked how great he was. Um, if we start doing that pinpoint stuff of international hockey, then you're, we're going to revisit Paul Henderson. And I'm not suggesting that Henderson is a snub because I don't believe he should be in the Hall of Fame for three great weeks of hockey. Yes, agreed. Uh, but his team is. And the display, I saw it last night again, and it's fantastic. And that's what I always say, John, uh, particularly when our friend Mr. Pratt out here used to bang his fist on the table uh, for Henderson. I go, Dave. Go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I assure you the 72 Summit team is well represented there. Well represented. There's a massive display there with Paul front and center. I think unique skills are a thing. Shea Weber has 224 goals as a defenseman. He's 16th all-time in that regard. I think everybody above him in that list is in the hall. I don't think Steve Duchesne is. Maybe the one exception, Steve Duchesne. No. But I think everybody else above him in that list is in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, when you have a, a unique skill, as Shea Weber did as, in terms of scoring goals, maybe maybe you do put him in. It, it, you know, it's, it's really a hard discussion to have, not from the point of view of, you know, what numbers put on the piece of paper. But, um, you know, Shea Weber had a great career. He was a, he was a valuable member of, of Nashville and in Montreal. I'm not going to say I remembered him playing for Arizona very long. Um, <laughs> but, um, and it was great for Canada. And if you say, well, he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, it makes it sound like a failure. And yeah. that's part, that, that becomes the real issue is that, yes, we know he's, he was a star. He was a star in the National Hockey League. But was it Hall of Fame worthy? And that really is a, that's, a, that's an interesting conversation to have 
without creating some negative overtones of, wow, they don't think he was that good. It's yeah. not a slight and, to not be and, him. No. Here's right. well, which, 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 goes, which goes back to when we all, we, you know, you, I think, I can't speak for both of you, but I think we feel the same way, is that we'd like more transparency in the whole nomination process and, right. and, and the voting and everything. And, and, and the hall and the committee for all these years has tried to protect that for this very reason. So that people who don't get in aren't embarrassed. Right. And, uh, and, and, and so they're, they're trying to protect that integrity of those really good players, great players sometimes that probably don't deserve to be in the hall of fame. And uh, with regards to former Canuck Ryan Miller, he sort of falls into a Curtis Joseph Chris Osgood category in terms of you. And I know wins are an imperfect stat with the analytics guys, but it is a measure of how long you've you know uh, been successful mm-hmm. as an NHL. His 391 wins are 14th all time. That's right behind Osgood's 401. It's actually uh, quite a shout from Kujos. Uh, Four fifty-four, um, but then you get back to the Stanley Cup argument, right? Yeah. And Osgood has them, and Joseph and Miller don't do not. And Vernon is a few wins back of Ryan Miller, and he just got in because, as John notes, uh, Stanley Cup and Con Smythe. Let's move yeah. on. Uh, okay. Bo Horvat returns here Wednesday. He's already talked to reporters there. In New York, what kind of reception do you think he get? He'll get here. What kind of reception do you think he deserves here? And we're asking today: Was that trade sort of the catalyst behind the turnaround of these Vancouver Canucks? Uh, I don't. I, I don't think so. Uh, only to say that maybe, and maybe I'm just debating the word catalyst. Um, to me, that trade told everybody that everything's on the table. That, you know, being the way the Canucks were just was not acceptable to this group of people running the team. And so, and, and, and we, we all do it in every market we ever live in that, you know, we fall in love with players. We fall in love with, well, they're really good, you know, and, and as Bo became, you know, so popular in Vancouver, I, you know, this is a win-win for Canuck fans and for the Canucks. Horvat coming back, it should be a great video tribute. It should be a standing ovation, and the Canucks will win. How do you go wrong? <laughs> you know that's and and the Canucks are are playing as as well as we've seen them play in what? How long? 11, 12 years. Well, at this point, ever really, they've never had a record like this. Uh, this well, but I'm just saying, well, if yeah. you try to get this through 82 games, are we talking since 2011? 11, 12. There are some uh, right. winning streaks uh, that right. are comparable to this yeah. one. Yes. Yeah. So, so to me, I I hope for, I f- hope for the Canucks' sake. I hope for Bo's sake that it's a, a positive night all the way around. I mean, and hey. Give boy, give him a power play goal too. But we know the Canucks will beat the Islanders these days. Well, yeah, I just played pretty well against the Oilers last night through two periods of play, and then just fell apart against a, a team that had a new coach behind the bench. So, I mean, if they play as well as they did through forty minutes, they probably have a have a chance versus the Canucks. But uh, yeah. you, you do feel bad for Bo Horvat. I mean, it doesn't seem like the Islanders have necessarily been the greener grass on the other side of the fence for him. No, but. Um... You know, they're, if, first of all, you look at their numbers and, 
you know, they're in that mushy middle, right? Mm -hmm. In the NHL, they've, you know, they've already taken too many games to 65 minutes in my mind. Uh, they've had a difficult time holding leads at times, but there's, you know, they, I think the expectation that Bo was going to come there and be that high scoring player that we all thought he was in Vancouver the last couple of years, that, that's just not the way the Islanders play the game. That's not, that's not Lou Lamorello hockey. Um, I, I would think though, I mean, lifestyle, you know, guaranteed contract, uh, Bo's done okay. Bo's doing fine. Um, he's almost a point great guard game too. He's doing okay. Blake, it's, it's a great place to live. Yeah. Uh, make no bones about it. Living in uh, Nassau or Suffolk County on Long Island is, it's like out of the movie sometimes. Little neighborhoods, you know, Glen Cove, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's one of those well-kept secrets about where to live. And now that they've got a really high-end arena, uh, I don't think any players are really complaining about playing for the Islanders. Plus amazing accents all around. Yes. The yes. Long Island accent. Where did you live when you were running uh, broadcasting in New York? I, I was right down. I was in Manhattan. Ah. So I, I, uh, but I, I only, I was only there. I commuted. I tried to spend two days in Toronto every every week. So I, because I didn't want my kids to leave school. So I, I was a Monday to Friday New Yorker and a Saturday Sunday Mississauga guy. So gotcha. What's uh, what's uh, Ken speaking? Up? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, speaking of that Oilers, yes, Oilers okay. Islanders yeah. game. So I've heard people in Edmonton twist themselves into knots trying to tell us that this wasn't at Connor McDavid's urging or design. And I've seen others from outside of Edmonton talking about the LeBronification of the NHL is upon us. Star players are now calling the shots with their teams, which is the truth as you know it. Uh, the former. I, I don't, I, I don't think that Connor was involved in much, if any of this. Uh, I think Jeff Jackson had uh, targeted Chris Knobloch a long time ago. But did he target him because of the connection? Like, is he, is he? Well, I mean, it, 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 the, the coincidence was that, you know, Jeff Jackson was Connor's agent when Knobloch and Connor were both in Erie. Yeah. So, you know, there were relationships, you know, and, and the relationship in the end that got Knobloch the job wasn't the relationship with Connor McDavid. It was the relationship with Jeff Jackson. Um, this probably was an, an inevitability, uh, if not on uh, you know the weekend of November the 11th, but probably the week after the regular season and playoffs ended for the Edmonton Oilers anyway. I think Chris Knobloch was going to be the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers next October when they started the season. So this has just been accelerated what was part of the plan. You know, hockey's famous for this or slash infamous for it, uh, John. Like, it, sometimes it looks lazy. It, it, the guys only look within their own sphere to to make hires or to to sign players. So sometimes it works. I mean, we, we were kind of a little bit half-cocked looking at, at what the Pittsburgh uh, you know, mafia was doing here in Vancouver. But in the end, you know, they make decisions on guys like Cole and Lafferty and – you know, they've worked out, you know, sometimes, sometimes it just makes sense. Sometimes the puzzle pieces that they know actually fit into the new puzzle. Exactly. I mean, I, I, the, the example I gave to a lot of people yesterday was um, Pierre Lacroix went in the hall of fame last night. 
You think he should not have traded for one of his former clients, Patrick Waugh, to go to Denver? <laughs> I mean, the, the, it's who you it, it's who you know and who you trust. Yeah, uh, that's a, a big part of it. Chris Knobloch should have been in the National Hockey League long before last night. He's a very good coach. Uh, I got to know Chris when he was in Erie when I was doing uh, junior hockey for Sportsnet, and I think Chris Knobloch is one of those guys that. Maybe he doesn't have that outgoing personality, but he has a great demeanor with his players. He knows the game very well. And I think that that is a huge factor in the modern day NHL. Fire and brimstone, as we learned from Mike Babcock, doesn't work anymore. And what Chris Knob, I mean, I, the Rangers are disappointed. The Rangers are disappointed they lost Chris Knobloch as their number one training coach for their young guys leaving Hartford and going to Madison Square Garden. They weren't happy to see Knobloch go, but they've got Peter Laviolette and they didn't give it to Knobloch. That's their mistake if they think Knobloch was that good. Knobloch deserved a chance and the Oilers gave it to him. And that yeah. said, I, 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 I did not advocate that Jay should have been let go. I mean, I, I thought Jay did a good job as, and I truly believe the players um, still trusted Jay and trusted Dave Manson. Um, and this was something that came from somewhere else that said we have to make a change in order to try to regain some confidence in the market. Lastly, John, uh, much made about these Flames defensemen, UFA defensemen, and how they'll be available here soon if if Calgary uh, continues to uh, languish. Zadorov, Tanev to Vancouver, do you see either or both being a fit here? Well, you, you know what? I uh, Sentimentally, I'd love to see Chris Tanev back in Vancouver. Uh, and I and I think we've we've learned since he's le- since he's left the Canucks what a value he has to a franchise. I mean, Chris, the, the Calgary Flames and Chris Tanev played when he was healthy, where the personality of that blue line was totally different. He's he's a character guy. I, I, I think I, I, listen if Craig Conroy and management in Calgary decide that they are going to blow it up, which I think they'll probably make that decision by the end of December. Uh, they will be there will be a huge cry for Chris Tanev to join a team that, you know, whether that's Edmonton or Toronto or Vancouver, because Tanev has that uh, innate ability to make everybody around him better and, uh, and sacrifice. And that's what he does. Zadorov has, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can't help but love what Zadorov says and how he's played the game. Um, and again, I think that we'll know that, that that first week in January, whether the flames are going to blow it up and go. And I think there'll be a giant and any team that's either thinks they're that close to the Stanley cup or that close to needing to get a guy like Zadorf to get to the playoffs. There'll be huge demand for both those guys. Thank you, John. Have a good week. You too, boys. Happy Tuesday. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center Presentation, Apple at Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. little note here on the Whitecaps. Well, it's from a rumor mill on the old socials at MLS Transfers. 46,000 followers. Uh, you know, again, this isn't from Tom Bogert or any of the... Uh, 
big European insiders. Take it for what it's worth. Source Vancouver Whitecaps have looked into adding current Inter Milan midfielder Davy Claussen, but the Dutch international is looking to see out his contract until 2024. Talks to be visited next summer to reassess the situation. So maybe this is a Jan 24 thing. Yeah. Rather than a Jan 20, or sorry, Jan 25. Is that the next thing. window? January? Uh, yes. Uh, December, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, I did see Glass City, and we have talked about this before, that the junior club is going to exercise Caicedo's purchase option early, and that between him, Alexandre, uh, Alexandre and Davies, mm. you're looking at like $16 million coming in here in the coming weeks. So they have some money to play with Yeah, this offseason. Yeah. Theoretically, yeah. Let's. I mean, some some of that's going to be earmarked for a raise for Richard Larea and 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 that sort of. But yeah, yeah. There's there's some money to go around. Let's uh, let's hey. hope they get the right the right fits. Cap space in this town. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Lots of it. Yesterday's poll question: Keeping acquisition cost in mind, which Flames defenseman would you like to see the Canucks add? This is a big uh, numbers here. Twenty eight, twenty nine hundred votes. Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov, or none? Who won the poll? Uh, Tanev. Indeed. Percentage? Mm, 58. 52. None got 19% of the votes. Mm. Zadorov, 17%. Hannafin, 11. None of them are going to be cheap. So the none, no. I, that's where the none people are coming from. Yeah. Terry, Zadorov. One thing every great team needs is a really mean player. Not fake ones that are big, but a real SOB like Rafi Torres was in 2010. SK, Tanif, he's the only right shot of the three. Given his age, the cost would presumably be lowest, so he's clearly favor- the favorite option. We can't go all the way with two of Myers, Friedman, Juleson in the lineup. Agree with that, SK. If Zador was a right-handed shot, it'd be a no-brainer. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm with him on the Tanif thing, not because he's familiar necessarily, but, again, because he's old, he's probably the cheapest. And then Canucks SoCal says, Tanif is the only reasonable option playing 20-plus minutes. Acquisition cost is likely too high. With free agency around the corner, why not wait till the trade deadline to make a huge improvement for the run where needed? Top comment on YouTube is from Kenton. He says, I say just wait and get Bear when he's healed up. And I think that... I, saw I suspect l- we're getting closer to that, right? Yeah. 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 Like the what you're getting in terms of value back versus acquisition costs has to be factored in here. You think Bear will take a one-year deal? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, would... Would a team want to give him more than that coming off that injury? That's right. I, I would be surprised. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. We corrected you on, uh, I drive the QX60. Yes. 50. Yeah. But Yerke is quibbling with uh, Neil McAvoy, is he? He's getting very literal, yes. Well, and Blake knows this. I am a... Uh, An anti-literal fan. Well, it, it's just people are using the word for exactly the opposite That's of right. what mm-hmm. his definition is. Yeah. Some of it's in a, with irony attached to it. Like, it's sort of like a wink. Like, I, you know, they're literally, well, they're not, but that's sort of the joke. But other times it's just it's just incorrect. It's pure on yeah. not understanding the definition of the word. Yeah. And I don't think that was the case with Neil McAvoy yesterday because when he said they literally stuffed the ball down our throats – he knew full well that they did not open up anybody's mouth and stuff a football 
down their throat. And still, um, pointing this out is not the meanest thing done to a Lions staffer in the last 24 hours because I was at eight ranks yesterday and Kelly Bates, offensive line coach, was there watching one of his kids in action. That a boy, Kelly. And I said to him, I said, uh, I looked at the scoreboard of the game he was watching. I said, is it, are you guys up to nothing? He said, yeah. And I don't know why I said this, Matt. I said, well, at least you'll win one game this weekend. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> it was really, it was. A and you're lucky Kelly's a jovial guy. Well, we were up on a, uh, like up on a perch and he's like, do you want me to see if you can fly? <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. Touche, well done, Kelly. Like I, my line was really good, but it was a little bit too familiar. Wow. Like it was like, yeah, you're low key mean. Yeah, like that was really mean. You're really low key mean. Yeah, uh, good on you to self-report though. On yeah. and O's. That's a what a horrible <laughs> thing to say. I apologize, Kelly. Probably cried himself to sleep Saturday. Oh my god! I hope I didn't ruin the relationship. He's get, a good man. Yes, he is. Let's get to the Betway bets of the day. Uh, we have talked about really crappy primetime games in the NFL this year. This week's got some good ones, including Thursday night football. I'm going to take Joe Burrow and Cincinnati plus three and a half just because I like three and a half in Baltimore against the, against the Ravens. Um, Seahawks need to win this one coming up against the Rams. So I'm uh, I'm going to go there because, again, they, just, they have to squirrel away points before they go 49ers, Cowboys, 49ers. So 187 on the Seahawks to win. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play response responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us and Rankwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social media. That's Twitter, Insta, YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.